Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya 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 Narayanam Namaskritya Nanam Chaiva Narotamam Devim Sarasatim Vyasam Tato Jayam Udiraye Welcome everyone to our ongoing reading of Srimad Bhagavatam. And tonight we're here in Sri Vrindavan Dham and we'll be taking up where we left off recently at the 11th chapter of the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. We're starting at text number one. And thank you very much for joining us from all over the universe. This chapter is entitled The Symptoms of Conditioned and liberated living entities. Text one. The Supreme Personality of God had said, My dear Uddhava, due to the influence of the material modes of nature which are under my control, the living entity is sometimes designated as conditioned and sometimes as liberated. In fact, however, the soul is never really bound up or liberated. And since I am the Supreme Lord of Maya, which is the cause of the modes of nature, I also am never to be considered liberated or in bondage. Purport. In this chapter, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna explains the different characteristics of conditioned and liberated life, the symptoms by which one can recognize saintly persons, and the various processes of devotional service to the Lord. In the previous chapter, Uddhava inquired from the Lord how conditioned and liberated life are possible the Lord now replies that Uddhava's question is somewhat superficial, since the pure spirit soul is never entangled in the material energy of the Lord. The living entity imagines a false connection with the three modes of nature and accepts the material body as the self. The living entity therefore suffers the consequences of his own imagination, just as one suffers the illusory activities of a dream. This does not indicate that the material world is illusory in the sense that it is non-existent. The material world is certainly real, being the potency of the Supreme Godhead, being the potency of the personality of Godhead, and the living entity being the superior potency of God is also real. But the living entity's dream of being part and parcel of the material world is an illusion that drags him into the contradictory state called material conditioned life. The living entity is never actually buddha or bound up since he merely imagines a false connection with the material world. Because there is ultimately no permanent connection between the living entity and matter, there is no actual liberation. The living entity being eternally transcendental to the inferior material energy of the Lord is eternally liberated. Lord Krishna reveals that in one sense, the living entity is factually not bound up and thus cannot be liberated. But in another sense, the terms bondage and liberation can be conveniently applied to indicate 
the particular situation of the individual soul, who is the marginal potency of the Lord. Although the individual soul is never actually bound to matter, he suffers the reactions of material nature because of false identification, and thus the term buddha, or bound up, may be used to indicate the nature of the living entity's experience within the inferior energy of the Lord. Since Buddha describes a false situation, freedom from such a false situation may be described as moksha or liberation. Therefore, the terms bondage and liberation are acceptable if one understands that such terms only refer to temporary situations created by illusion and do not refer to the ultimate nature of the living entity. In this verse, Lord Krishna states, Gunasya maya mulatvan nami moksho nabandhanam. The terms liberation and bondage can never be applied to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, since he is the absolute truth and the supreme controller of everything. Lord, <coughs> excuse me, Lord Krishna is eternally the supreme transcendental entity, and he can never be bound by illusion. It is the duty of the illusory potency of the personality of Godhead to attract the living entities to ignorance by creating the false impression of a blissful existence separate from Lord Krishna. The illusory conception of existence apart from the personality of Godhead is called maya, or material illusion. Since Lord Krishna is the supreme absolute controller of maya, there is no possibility that maya could have any influence over the personality of Godhead. Thus, the term bandhanam, or bondage, cannot be applied to the eternal, blissful, and omniscient personality of Godhead. The term moksha, or liberation, indicating freedom from bandhana, is equally irrelevant to the Lord. Srila <coughs> <coughs> Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur has commented on this verse as follows. The Supreme Personality of God it is endowed with great spiritual potencies. Because of mundane concoction, the conditioned soul imagines that the absolute truth is devoid of variegated spiritual potencies by which he may enjoy a blissful life. Although the living entity is the spiritual potency of the Lord, he is presently situated in the inferior illusory potency, and by engaging in mental speculation, he becomes bound in conditioned life. Liberation means that the living entity should transfer himself to the spiritual potency of the Lord, which can be divided into three categories, Ladini, the potency of bliss, Sandini, the potency of eternal existence, and Sambit, the potency of omniscience. Since the personality of God is eternally endowed with a pure existence of bliss and knowledge, he is never conditioned or liberated. The living entity, however, being entangled in the Lord's material potency is sometimes conditioned and sometimes liberated. The neutral original state of the three modes of nature is called maya. When the three modes of nature interact, one of them will become powerful, subordinating the other two modes until another mode becomes prominent. In this way, the three can be distinguished in their variety of manifestation. Although the threefold material potency expands from the personality of Godhead, the Lord himself, in his personal form, is the actual abode of the three spiritual potencies. 
namely eternality, bliss, and knowledge. If one desires to become free from the entanglement of conditioned life within the material sky called the kingdom of Maya, one must come to the spiritual sky wherein the living entities are filled with bliss, possess eternal spiritual bodies, and engage in the loving devotional service of the Lord. By developing one's eternal spiritual form in the loving service of the Lord, one immediately transcends the duality of conditioned life and impersonal liberation and can directly experience the spiritual potencies of the Lord. At that time, there is no possibility of false identification with the material world. Realizing oneself to be eternal spiritual spirit soul, the living entity can understand that he is never truly connected to matter because he is part of the superior energy of the Lord. Therefore, both material bondage and liberation are ultimately meaningless within the reality of the spiritual sky. The living entity is the marginal potency of the Lord and should exercise his free will to engage in pure devotional service of the Lord. By reviving one's eternal spiritual body, one can understand oneself to be a minute particle of the spiritual potency of the Lord. In other words, the living entity is a minute particle of eternity, bliss, and omniscience. And thus, in full Krishna consciousness, there is no possibility of his being carried away by the illusion of the three modes of nature. In conclusion, it may be stated that the individual living entity is never actually entangled in matter and is thus not liberated. Although his illusory state may be accurately described as entangled and liberated. On the other hand, the Supreme Personality of God is eternally situated in his own spiritual potencies and can never be described as being bound up. And thus there is no meaning to the concept of the Lord's freeing himself from such a non-existent condition. Any reflections from the verse? So the living entity is never connected. Oh, good, we have an extra mic. Way to go, Chuck Adolfo. That the living entity can understand that he is never truly connected to matter. He can understand that. Yeah, have you ever, like, um, been in a dream and you kind of know it's a dream, but you don't want to let go of it and wake up? Sort of a liminal state. Yeah, it's an amazing um, phenomena. A Sango Hyayam Purusha, that's a verse that probably quotes from some Vedic text. Asango means there is no connection really between the living entity. He, I am Purusha. The, that living entity never has any connection to the material world. It's uh, as, as the commentator here says, it's mental speculation. Kind of like watching a movie and then becoming so absorbed in the movie that you're moved by the characters succeeding or failing or dying and uh, become overwhelmed and then when the lights go on then you see that actually I was just absorbed in some phantasmagoria 
Any other reflection? That anything you heard from the chapter? Can I add something more? Please, please add. It, it is uh, actually today. I was I was uh, <clears throat> I was really curious to experience the fact that that when I am dreaming, I really think that I am there at that situation, the place, the circumstances, when I turn my head and there's this person and then I go here and there and then I have to do that. And then when I wake up and I go again, nothing of it was true, but I really took it as, as it is. So it's like a night and day dream, right? Yeah. Because when you wake up, you look at your face at the, at the mirror and you say, well, this is me, right? Yeah. Yeah, in the story of Suyagya, the king who dies on the battlefield after so many battles in which he was victorious and then his queens clutch his body. They don't want to let him go, even though it's the custom that the body be burned before the sun come, goes down that same day. And then Yamaraj comes in the form of a five-year-old boy and asks them, the wives, why they're crying and holding on to the body. And they say, My, our husband, the king, has died. And he says, what do you mean? And uh, they say, well, he's gone. and he's, he said, he's not gone, he's right here. And they argue back and forth for a while, and he said, actually, <laughs> you never saw your husband. You only saw the body, but you missed the essence the whole time. And now you say he's gone, but I say that all the same elements are there that you saw previously. Any other points? Something you heard? Yes. Check it all Got to use your own mind. Yes. Guru Maharaj, I heard this point that uh, Lord Krishna is never bound by the three modes of material nature. Uh -huh. So it's uh, totally uh, meaningless to say that he, he becomes liberated. Uh, yeah, the living entity also. I mean, that statement is made about the living entity also, that, that he's liberated or bound. And in one way, it's superficial, because he, like in the 13th chapter of the Gita, at the end, Krishna says, well, just as air never mixes with anything, so similarly, the living entity also never mixes with the material nature, just appears to. But then in the Gita, 15th chapter, Krishna says there's there's two kinds of living entities. One's the fallible and the other's the infallible. And then beyond the fallible and the infallible, there's the personality of Godhead. The infallible living entities are in the spiritual world, the fallible are in the material world. But as Jakadola Prabhu was pointing out that the personality of Godhead never comes under the control of material energy. But the living entities do. I'm going to read another. 
Is everybody happy? Okay. Text number two. Just as a dream is merely a creation of one's intelligence, but has no actual substance, similarly, material lamentation, illusion, happiness, distress, and the acceptance of the material body under the influence of maya are all creations of my illusory energy. In other words, material existence has no essential reality. Purport, the word deha apati, indicates that the living entity falsely identifies himself with the external material body and thus transmigrates from one body to another. Apati also indicates great suffering or misfortune. Because of such false identification can exist without Lord Krishna or for any purpose other than the pleasure of the Supreme Lord. Although it's gratification, the result is always painful. And such painful experiences turn the conditioned soul back toward the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In other words, the ultimate purpose of the material creation is to bring the living entity back to the loving devotional service of the Lord. Therefore, even the sufferings of the material world may be seen as the transcendental mercy of the Personality of Godhead. The conditioned soul, imagining that material objects are meant for his personal enjoyment, bitterly laments the loss of such objects. In this verse, the example is given of a dream in which the material intelligence creates many illusory objects. Similarly, our polluted material consciousness creates the false impression of material sense gratification. But this phantasmagoria, being devoid of Krishna consciousness, has no real existence. By surrendering to polluted material consciousness, the living entity is afflicted with innumerable troubles. The only solution is to see Lord Krishna within everything and everything within Lord Krishna. Thus, one understands that Lord Krishna is the supreme enjoyer, the proprietor of everything, and the well-wishing friend of all living beings. In material illusion, there is no understanding of one's eternal spiritual body, nor is there knowledge of the absolute truth. Therefore, material existence, even in its most sophisticated or pious form, is always foolishness. One should not misunderstand the example of, a, of the dream to mean that the material world has no real existence. Material nature is the manifestation of the Lord's external potency. Just as the spiritual sky is the manifestation of the Lord's internal potency. Although material objects are subject to transformation and thus have no permanent existence, the material energy is real because it comes from the Supreme Reality, Lord Krishna. It is only our false acceptance of the material body as the factual self in our foolish dream that the material world is meant for our pleasure that have no real existence. They are merely mental concoctions. One should cleanse oneself of material designations and wake up to the all-pervading reality of the Personality of Godhead, Lord Krishna. Text 3. O Uddhava, both knowledge and ignorance being products of maya are expansions of my potency. Both knowledge and ignorance are beginningless and perpetually award liberation and bondage to embodied living beings. Purport, by the expansion of vidya, or knowledge, a conditioned soul is liberated from the clutches of maya. And similarly, by the expansion of avidya, 
or ignorance, the conditioned soul is driven further into illusion and bondage. Both knowledge and ignorance are products of the mighty potency of the personality of Godhead. The living being is bound by the illusion when he considered bound by illusion when he considers himself the proprietor of the subtle and gross material bodies. According to Srila Jiva Goswami, the living entity may be designated as Jiva Maya, whereas matter is called Gunamaya. The living entity places his living potency, Jiva Maya, in the grip of the mundane quali qualitative potency, Gunamaya. and falsely dreams that he is part and parcel of the material world. Such an artificial mixture is called illusion or ignorance. When all the Lord's potencies are correctly perceived in their proper categories, the living entity is liberated from material bondage and returns to his blissful eternal residence in the spiritual sky. The Supreme Personality of God is not different from his potencies, yet he is always above them as the Supreme Controller. The Supreme Personality of Godhead may be designated as Mukta, or liberated, only to indicate that he is eternally free from material contamination, and never to indicate that the Lord has been freed from actual entanglement in a material situation. According to Srila Madhvacharya, Vidya indicates the goodness, excuse me, the goddess of fortune, the internal potency of the Lord, whereas Avidya indicates Durga, the external potency of the Lord. Ultimately, however, the personality of Godhead can transform his potencies according to his own desire, as explained by Srila Prabhupada in his commentary on Srimad Bhagavatam 1.3.34. Quote, because the Lord is the absolute transcendence, all of his forms, names, pastimes, attributes, associates, and energies are identical with him. His transcendental energy acts according to his omnipotency. The same energy acts as his external, internal, and marginal energies, and by his omnipotency, he can perform anything and everything through the agency of any of the above energies. He can turn the external energy into internal by his will. That's from Bhagavatam 1334. Srila Sridhar Swami notes, in this regard, that although the Lord has explained in the first verse of this chapter that the living entity is never actually in bondage and therefore never actually liberated, one may apply the terms bondage and liberation if one remembers that the living entity is eternally a transcendental fragment of the personality of Godhead. Furthermore, one should not misinterpret the words maya me venir mite to indicate that both material bondage and liberation are temporary states, being creations of the potency of the Lord. Therefore, the term adye, or primeval and eternal, is used in this verse. The vidya and avidya potencies of the Lord are stated to be creations of maya because they carry out the functions of the Lord's potencies. The vidya potency engages the living entities in the Lord's pastimes, whereas the avidya potency engages the living entities in forgetting the Lord and merging into darkness. Actually, both knowledge and ignorance are eternal alternatives of the marginal potency of the Lord, and in this sense, it is not incorrect to state that the living entity is either eternally conditioned or eternally liberated. The term venirmite, or produced, in this case indicates that the Lord expands his own energy 
as knowledge and ignorance, which display the functions of the Lord's internal and external potencies. Such potential exhibitions may appear and disappear in different times, places, and circumstances, but material bondage and spiritual freedom are eternal options of the marginal potency of the Lord. Anything that anybody heard so far? I think what really stood out to me was that um, even though I think we frame it as being in bondage a lot, or we use that term that we're in bondage or being relieved from bondage, is that this is kind of this is saying, or what I've determined that this is saying is that that that's not true, and that we're misrepresenting the bondage maybe, and that our the actual soul isn't. It, it, I feel like it for me, it's it's clarifying that these things that I feel like I'm suffering from aren't actually real and that suffering isn't really there. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Well, yeah, an example that's given several times throughout the Bhagavatam is if in a dream you see your head being cut off and do you suffer or not when you see that? That's a real question. Yeah, what do you think? In the dream, I yeah. suffer. Yeah, so the suffering is there, but it's it's illusory. Like if I'm watching you there twitching on the bed, you're having a dream, your head's being cut off. Uh, I perceive it as a person who's awake to be an illusory interaction that you're having because your head's not really being cut off. But it doesn't mean that you're not experiencing some anxiety at that point, to say the least. And so that's an example that, that's given frequently. It's, uh, it's really illusory in the sense that your head's not really being cut off, but because you perceive it to be cut off, then you go through those changes. So the soul comes under the influence of, of the material energy because it's overpowering for him. But uh, it's a conundrum because the soul's actually superior energy to the material energy. But because all the energies are controlled by Krishna, then even the material energy, Krishna says, becomes treacherous for the living entity. We try to control it and then it controls us back. Like we control the material energy by making technology, like a television, and then the next thing you know, you're sitting there seven hours a day, controlled by the television, <laughs> it, you know, caught by that energy. Interesting that the Actually, we don't experience the material world directly. There's a virtual reality that we're experiencing here. The senses have a kind of software behind them called Tanmatra, through which they 
interact with the sense objects of the material world. And there's, there's a subtle connection. Just like in software, there's a subtle connection with the made, you know, through the agency of the software. And that um, is kind of a reflection in the mind. Like, the mind is like a movie screen, actually. And we're seeing the world through it, and the kinds of uh, sense perception that we're getting from the objects is a, is a virtual kind of experience. So the material world is a reflection of the spiritual world. It's not substantial, just as a reflection isn't substantial, but it's reflecting something that is real. And then we perceive the material world, the reflected image of the spiritual world on our minds. So we're actually experiencing a reflection of a reflection. And therefore, you know, it's very much like it's given as a dream or now we have this experience of going to a movie theater and watching and being entranced by it and then going through the changes. When the lights go on, we notice that we have our separate existence. So in that sense, we were never really um, bound, but we submitted to that experience and therefore you know, we, we get carried away by it and we do suffer so that the suffering is not, not at all real I just recently when I had some uh, work done on my teeth and I just noticed when they they push in a needle and then they put some kind of substance in there so you can't feel it and then it's like la di da you know <laughs> Even you can, you can smell, that, you know, if they're using a drill, it's like, what's that smell? It's like, oh, your body's burning, you know. <laughs> but you're like, oh, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> or when I had COVID for a, a, a week or so, I lost my sense of taste and smell. And I, I was just kind of fascinated by it because I thought, well, where'd it go? What was it anyway? That I, how was I perceiving the essence of various substances of the world. And then when it came back, I thought, oh yeah, the software came back on again, and now I have this kind of bridge. Have you probably want to say more about this? Fascinating by the concept. I have an experience also. I don't know if I mentioned it to you. Generally, I, I make my comment to you when I can. but. In case I didn't, um, I was also in a dentist uh, chair and I could see myself that the whole body was very tense. And um, there were two doctors because there was a, a need of doing some, some work and uh, it was very, very uncomfortable. It came a point where I, I, I thought I, I was not going to be able, I wanted to stop it. I said, you know what? I don't want to do this because it was really very intense, and not and not in a pain, not so much pain, but uncomfortable and pulling and pushing and drilling and and smelling and 
it was very uncomfortable to have three hands, four hands in my mouth. But it came a point where I intellectually, I, I landed in that concept of the real and the unreal. And somehow or other, I don't know how I did that, I just decided to breathe and look at myself as the witness of my circumstances mm. instead of being the victim of my circumstances. And as I was doing that, suddenly I actually could have a glimpse of how I am the witness because I just went inside my consciousness, went inside, and then everything was happening and I was in the, right, in the same chair and everything, but I was not affected. Even if it took three minutes, not affected, but at least I got it. I got it, just a glimpse of how there's a difference between being the victim uh, instead of, uh, I mean, the, the, the witness instead of the victim. That's kind of what I was feeling also in that, you know, in that circumstance. Uh, there's another phenomenon that's related to what you're saying about how <clears throat> when we see, as an example, a rope, but I mistake it to be a snake. And then uh, I feel fear. And when the fear comes in, then my hair kind of stands on end, the heart palpitates, maybe perspiration. So then I witness the body going through those changes. This all happens in a split second. And then I think, oh, it must be true because my body's going through this. It verifies because the body gives that response. <laughs> and uh, there's this perpetual cycle of connecting with the material world and then the body reacting and then thinking that actually it's verified because the body's going through it and then mm -hmm. it escalates. It's confirmed. And you get constantly caught in that until one be, is able to objectify the body. Shukadeh Goswami says at the end of the uh, 14th chapter in the 10th canto about how when one comes to see the body as mine and not I, that then one's able to step back and see actually this is a machine that's going on and I'm involved in it. In the Gita too, Krishna says that uh, a person who reaches that stage of awareness uh, notices that the body's interacting in many different ways but sees I'm not doing that. It's a, it's a, uh, to measure the body and watch it and just see how it, it is so finely tuned to um, the, the, the environment. We heard earlier in the 11th canto how the body is a, that we have is just like representing, it, it's a small sample of the universal body. And all of these phenomena are actually controlled from a higher level. We're not actually doing it. It's going on because of the influence of higher beings, devas that are moving the body. Like if I think move my hand, 
and then I'm able to move it in a second. I think I'm moving it, but actually there's a network of operators that are helping every, or causing everything to, to move. I think you can notice it in times when you're having this extreme pain and you have to back up from it. That's one of the times that that can be seen. Or from somebody who's uh, transcended the bodily conception. That's the verse uh, where Krishna says, Naiva kinshikuramiti tapavit. That the person doesn't for a moment think that uh, I'm the body, but just sees the body moving and doing jobs like accepting something, taking something, blinking the eyes, and so forth. Same thing happens in my experience uh, when I when I compose something in my piano and I go, oh, should I go this way or that way? And then I go, no, maybe left, maybe right. And then suddenly I go, oh, okay. As if I generated the idea and therefore I deserve the prize, right? Uh, uh, you know, I composed it and therefore, thank you very much. But is it, it's not the same as like sort of there's a voice that is whispering. I've always wondered if this is, uh, I should recognize that voice or that hint as Krishna's voice, or just my mind that is, fam you know, uh, familiar with the chords and the notes and so on. Yeah, definitely coming, I, I mean, it's verifiable from Krishna in the Gita, who talks about, he says that I'm there in the heart and I'm bringing remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness. I had an experience today, but it wasn't a creative experience. But I, we were leaving Radhisham Prabhu's house and I couldn't find my, what are they called, iPods? Earpods? Earpods? Earpods. Earpods. Airpods. Yeah, I couldn't find them. It's an easy item to lose when you have a couple of bags you're carrying. And uh, I looked everywhere. Then we got in the car and we were driving away. And I just said, well, that's it. I just don't have them. That's okay. And you always lose something traveling. Or from time to time you do. I do. And then we were partway down the freeway. And then it just came into my mind, right. I discovered a new pocket in one of the bags I've had for a couple of years now. <laughs> and I just, and it just came clearly into my mind. That's where you zipped it in. And I opened it, verified it, it was in there. And it was as, as if it was just handed to me. And I've read accounts of scientists uh, working on problems and then all of a sudden the, the formula comes into their mind complete and often composers. Of course, the way Amadeus Mozart was represented in a, in a film, he, he was... Divinely. Yeah, divinely inspired. These uh, pieces of music were just coming complete. He just had to write them down as quickly as he could. Yes, and his, his, his sort of a writer, he, he, he couldn't blink his eyes because he couldn't understand how this creature was 
was doing all this, not knowing better. Yeah. So, I mean, we're always interacting with Super Soul, and he's uh, giving us intelligence for everything. Or if we desire, then he removes our uh, awareness, you know, by our own choice. He's just reacting to our our desire. Very detailed information about how how what our what our situation is in the material world. Want to hear one more? Yes, please. Okay. Was that a bat that came in here earlier? I think so. How did it get in? I think it was. Welcome to stay. They eat mosquitoes, so they're, they're fine with me. The most intelligent Uddhava, oh, most intelligent Uddhava, the living entity called Jiva, is part and parcel of me, but due to ignorance, he has been suffering and material bondage since time immemorial. By knowledge, however, he can be liberated. Purport. Just as the sun reveals itself through its own light, or covers itself by creating clouds. The personality of Godhead reveals and covers himself by knowledge and ignorance, which are expansions of his potency. As stated in Bhagavad Gita 7.5, Aparayamitastunyam prakritim vidime puram jiva bhutam mahabaho yayedam daryate jagat. Besides this inferior nature, O mighty Arangarjuna, there is a superior energy of mind consisting of all living entities who are struggling with material nature and are sustaining the universe. Srila Prabhupada states in connection with this verse, the Supreme Lord Krishna is the only controller and all living entities are controlled by him. These living entities are his superior energy because the quality of their existence is one and the same with the Supreme, but they are never equal to the Lord in quantity of power. Because of quantitative inferiority of potency, the living entity becomes covered by maya and is again liberated by surrendering to the Lord. The word anksha, or part and parcel, is also mentioned in Bhagavad Gita 15.7. My maya vamsha jiva loke jiva bhuta sanatana. The living entity is amsha, or a minute particle, and therefore subject to liberation and bondage. As stated in the Vishnu Purana, Vishnu Shakti Pura Prokta, Shetra Gyakya Tara Pura, Avidhikarma Samyangya Tritya Shakti Rishite. The Supreme Personality of God at Vishnu possesses his superior internal potency as well as the potency called Shetra Gya Shakti. This Shetra Gya Shakti is also spiritual potency, but it is sometimes covered by the third or material potency called ignorance. Thus, because of the various stages of covering, the second or marginal potency is manifested in different evolutionary phases. Srila Bhaktivinotakura has written that the living entity has been executing fruitive activities since time immemorial. Thus, his conditioned life may be called beginningless. Such conditioned life, however, is not endless since the living entity may achieve liberation through the loving devotional service of the Lord. Since the living entity may acquire liberation, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur states that his liberated life begins at a certain point, but is endless 
because liberated life is understood to be eternal. In any case, I gotta read that sentence again because when I read it a couple weeks ago, it struck me as uh, fascinating. And so it goes like this. Uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur states that his liberated life begins at a certain point. His means the living entities. But is endless because liberated life is understood to be eternal. <laughs> In any case, one who has achieved the shelter of the Supreme Personality of God Krishna may be understood to be eternally liberated since such a person has entered into the eternal atmosphere of the spiritual sky. Since there is no material time in the spiritual sky, one who has achieved his eternal spiritual body on Lord Krishna's planet is not subject to the influence of time. His eternal blissful life with Krishna is not designated in terms of material past, present, and future, and is therefore called eternal liberation. Material time is conspicuous by its absence in the spiritual sky, and every living entity there is eternally liberated, having, having attained the supreme situation. Such liberation can be achieved by vidya, or perfect knowledge, which is understood in three phases called Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, as described in Srimad Bhagavatam. The ultimate phase of vidya, or knowledge, is to understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In Bhagavad Gita, such knowledge is called Rajavidya, or the king of all knowledge, and it awards the supreme liberation. So, this uh, designation of the different potencies of Krishna is one of the most important aspects of the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. Because there are categories of energy, they're not all one, they act in different ways. And one of the verses that Prabhupada quoted here is one that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu quoted also when speaking to Sanatana Goswami and it's from the Vishnu Purana and it says Vishnu Shakti Paraprokta Shetra Gyakya Tatapara Abhidya Karma Sanyanya Tritya Shakti Rishite which means he's naming three general categories of energies that the Lord has there's multifarious combinations of permutations or varieties of energy within these three categories but basically, there's the internal spiritual potency, then there's the external material potency, and then there's the marginal potency. And marginal means uh, the living entity that can be enveloped by either the material or the spiritual energy. The living entity is described by Krishna in the second chapter of the Gita as Sarvagata, all-pervading. Means their living entities are everywhere and they can exist in any situation. It's, they're not um, dependent on the matter. Matter is dependent on the, on the living entity. It's like when a, a living entity leaves a particular physical body, then the physical body begins to break down. It's no longer viable. And living entity also can survive in any environment. It doesn't require, as sometimes people think in terms of, well, we'll find life. First of all, it has to conform to the way the, uh, the earth is uh, composed. Of the, the, there's a composition on the earth 
that apparently accommodates life. And therefore, if we're going to find it on other planets, then we have to find the same ratio of elements from the material nature to accommodate life. But the Bhagavad Gita says it the other way, that actually life is eternal. It's always there, the, the jiva. And the jiva can exist anywhere. It's not dependent on, on material nature. So then Krishna says in the Gita also, Bhumir apo anulavayu kamano bhudir evacha ahankara itiyame bhinna prakriti rashida which is a catalog of the various material energies, gross and subtle. His names, earth, water, fire, air, ether. You can see them all in this room. Like earth, it's obvious because they put a, a lot of it on the walls here. Earth, water, it's in the air, the water. It's very humid in here. Uh, earth, water, fire, you look at the lights and you see the fire. Air, ether means space. If there wasn't any space, there wouldn't be any meaning to anything. Even the words I'm speaking, if there, if there weren't spaces in between, then we'd have no, could make no sense of it. And uh, uh, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. Can't see the mind the way we see the physical body, but we can understand its symptoms in ourselves and in others. And we can also analyze how, as Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita, there's a hierarchy amongst these various energies or entities. For instance, he says in the third chapter of the Gita, Indriyani prayanyahur indriyabhya paramanaha manasastu parabhudhiryo buhe paratastasa The lowest of all are the senses, and above the senses is the mind, and above the mind is the intelligence, and above the intelligence is the soul proper, which is anti-material, it's metaphysical, it doesn't have anything to do with the body, but it's residing within the body. And so the uh, understanding of the characteristics of the energies, this is called tattva, because tat means that. Something, it's a demonstrative pronoun. It means something that you can point to and say that exists. There's such a thing as thatness. And so that there are uh, distinctive energies. So one of the ways to look at the Bhagavad Gita and the, the, these philosophical sections of the Srimad Bhagavatam is it's, it's a study of the qualities of the energies of the universe their origin and also their characteristics. And when one knows the inferior and superior qualities of the various energies and how to uh, position oneself, knowing that we also are part of those energies, but we're conscious energy and therefore we have volition and we can position ourselves in a particular way. In the Gita, Krishna says, Yanti deva vrta deva pitrin yanti pratir vrta putani yanti puteja yanti mam yajino kimam. One of my favorite verses. He's basically saying to Arjuna that you can go wherever you want because you're a, a, a living being. 
So Yanti Deva, if, if you want to go somewhere, all you have to do is focus your energy there and you'll end up going there. <laughs> He's saying, if you want to go to the Devas, you can go there. If you want to go into material hellish conditions, you can go there too. It's good to know. That's where attention goes, energy flows. And if I don't know that, I can just uh, be aimlessly moving through the world. Of course, people who are a little progressive in the mode of passion, they want to develop, and so they understand that I have to concentrate in a certain way to make progress. And yogis use their power of concentration to develop mystic potencies because the elements themselves have, as I mentioned before, they have some kind of a, there's a, there's a subtle backing to all the elements. And there's a way that yogis uh, refine their minds so much that they can become absorbed in thinking of those and uh, actually commune with them in such a way that they develop the same powers that those elements have. And then they can use that connection to do miraculous things that seem to contradict or that, that seem to be superhuman. But actually it's a, it's a function of the material nature. But it just shows how versatile the soul is. Soul can go anywhere, can also um, merge into matter, or um, we can attain the supreme destination of life by uh, following the simple advice that Krishna gives, focus your mind exclusively on me. And uh, one of the ways that Prabhupada talks about how to fix the mind on Krishna is to become connected to Krishna through the chain of disciplic succession. It means there's teachers coming down, uh, they have students, they learn the science. And then there's this um, fascinating way in which, literally fascinating, because one fast fastens oneself to a person who's fastened him or herself to, to another person who's practicing the process. And it, Prabhupada mentioned that his power to spread the Krishna consciousness movement all over the world came from him doing that. He focused his mind on his guru's order. There's a very interesting way to develop spiritual power. Is the order itself has, or is a product of the spiritual energy. And when you focus your intention on that order, you move aside everything else, say, this is my main purpose. And then you meditate on it and say, I'm going to follow the order that I got through that disciplic chain. When you do that, uh, <laughs> then you can actually develop the same power that the other teachers of Krishna consciousness had. Because there's a current that comes through. And just like the yogis, they'll focus on a certain element and then attain the power of that element. So the bhakti yogi focuses on the 
order of the guru. And by focusing on that and becoming one with that order, that, that I'm, I'm going to make that my uh, exact purpose in life. And then uh, one also is able to do uh, miraculous things because there's power in it, spiritual power that comes through it. And, and that person starts to channel that spiritual energy and to do amazing things with it, like Prabhupada did. And if you trace it back and look at Prabhupada's teachings, he'll, he'll say over and over again, I've done this by focusing on the order of my guru. He quoted a verse from the Gita, which, in which Krishna says that if your purpose is singular, then you can control the mind and you can have this great power. But if you don't have that, then he said your intelligence will become many-branched and you won't be very effective. Confirmed. Okay, Bat, you can come back now. <laughs> so, uh, there's a famous great uh, teacher, Bhakti, uh, famous great teachers are known as Acharyas, who commented on that verse uh, hundreds of years ago, and he said that this verse means to focus on the order of the spiritual master. And so Prabhupada took that up as his uh, primary means of uh, getting this, this, the spiritual potency to spread Christian consciousness all over the world. So people get a picture of their spiritual master and then they meditate on him and then they meditate on what was his order. And even if it's a tiny order, just one little thing, and then you focus on it and say, yes, I, I'm gonna take this as my prime purpose, then it's, it still has the same effect because you connect to that same current of energy that's coming from the spiritual world. Prabhupada writes in one of his purports that the order of the Supreme Personality of God, it is a manifestation of his internal, that means spiritual energy. And it's by that potency that one comes to see the Lord face to face. So it's possible for any living entity to attain that. We've attained various forms in the material world because of our particular focus. And the, we're forced by the development of the consciousness in a particular life to go to another um, uh, set of circumstances that accommodates the, the kind of consciousness I've developed. And I say, I don't want it. And then some material nature says, no, no, go ahead, take it. It's yours. <laughs> you, you, you availed yourself to this situation by developing your consciousness in a certain way. And it's only until the living being realizes that actually I'm the architect of my fortune and, and wherever I'm going. That's that verse, Yanti Deva Vrata Deva. And Krishna's saying, you're the one directing where you're going to go. And he said, you can go wherever you want. So pay attention. Because if you get diverted and you 
start looking around the universe and get drawn by other kinds of energies, especially Maya, which is really a tricky energy. This Maya means that which is not. And like one of the main um, attractive, or the main attractive force in the material world is the attraction between man and woman. But if you an actually analyze what's going on, it's, it's, it's a material body. It only has just a few alterations. The eyes are slightly different, the maybe the cheekbones and uh, a few, just a few tiny features, which I noticed in, uh, as a kid in the Bugs Bunny cartoons. And the nemesis of Bugs Bunny, do you know who that is? That's funny, I thought he would have lasted a few more generations. <laughs> was this cartoon of a rabbit. I mean, I know who Bugs Bunny is. Oh, you do? Okay. I, I don't know who the nemesis is. Elmer Fudd. Oh. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Come on. <laughs> he, better, he better get with it. So, <laughs> Elmer Fudd was this, this really curmudgeon character with a shotgun. Typical American. And, uh, you know, a hat kind of had sideways. And chasing after the bunny because apparently he wanted to shoot him and cook him. I mean, he was always having these fantasies of cooking the rabbit and eating him. And so Bugs Bunny was always trying to escape. And one of the ways that I would, I, I actually got kind of angry about was that he would go behind a tree and then come back out really quick and he had changed his features. He was this exact same rabbit, only he had longer eyelashes. And then all of a sudden, Elmer Fudd got bewildered. And, like, and they had you know, little hearts going around his head and stuff like that. And the reason I got angry as a kid is going, this is ridiculous. It's the same stupid rabbit. <laughs> it's just got longer eyelashes, but then, you know, as we observe the world and see how Maya works, that's all it is, is a slight alteration. Hey, Hare Krishna, welcome from Mayapur Dham. Sadir Manava, Hare Krishna, welcome. Gaur Premanandi Hari good to see you. We're having Bugs Bunny guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Please have a seat. Welcome. And but actually, that—that's how subtle the difference is. But a living entity becomes enamored of the external energy, and you might think oh, it's just a little tweak, but it's—it's it's actually uh, substantial enough to hold a uh, living being in this expectation that I'm going to get some happiness out of the material world. An eternal holding pattern going on for lifetimes, thinking it's just around the corner. This is Maya holding out this idea that you're going to get something out of this. And then the living entity never get, gets the exact opposite of what he thought. Thought he was going to get some happiness from it, but actually he gets... Uh, not just disappointed, but also harassed by the, by the material energy. So it's a happy day when the 
when the soul, as it, we heard in the beginning of this chapter, comes to knowledge. Vidyam cha vidyam chayas tadvero mayamsa anya sambhavad anya sambhavad and knows the difference in the energies. If I look over here and focus here, there's going to be a completely different result than if I look over here. That's how simple it is, actually. The application is so simple. When you look at the Bhagavad Gita and Krishna says, manmana bhava manbhakti, just think of me. That's yoga. But then there's a science behind why you should think of Krishna. For instance, if you look at the deity of Krishna, which we were this morning, we're staying at Radhi Sham Prabhu's house and uh, Prema Mandri, and their, their deities are so beautiful. You just don't want to leave. You want to sit there and, and look. But it's different than looking at a statue of Gandhi or something, uh, because you're looking at the transcendental couple from the spiritual world. And they have all the features that everyone's looking for in this world, but actually it's the reality. And if you're looking at Krishna, you're looking at reality and you're experiencing reality, whose main feature is beauty. Beatitude is, is a state of being overwhelmed by an aesthetic. So Krishna consciousness means to understand the energies and the implications of being connected to various energies by our own volition. And we have to understand how powerful we are also. That wherever we look, we start um, because we're conscious energy, where, wherever we look, we, we create something. However, we, we, we use our power of attention, that's, that's where we're going to create something. So we can't waste it. Such an important education. Are we online? No. Are any devotees on there? Fourteen. Hare Krishna, dear devotees. You can write something the in the chat. The youngest said books. it was the lipstick. Oh, it was the lipstick on Bugs Bunny. And, uh, and eyelashes, yes. And eyelashes. Thanks, Div. I'm sorry. I, I forgot that part. Lipstick and eyelashes, eyelashes and Elmer Fudd became um, enamored. enamored. He was enamored and carried away by it. If you wanted to go for darshan at 6.45. Okay. Any last comments? I had a last question. Yes. Hopefully it's very short. Okay. You had mentioned there, uh, Prabhupada had, he did so much just based on the, you know, the instruction of his dyslipic succession. He was given an instruction and he meditated on that and then, and that was transcendental or, or that was how he was touched into that realm. Um, for those of us that aren't in a dyslipic succession, in the earliest stages of Krishna consciousness, are there instructions for the people that don't have an instruction from a spiritual master at this point. You didn't get any instructions yet? I, I've been told to chant and some things, and I have been told, but nothing, um, and I, I don't know that I'm looking for specificity, but just maybe confirmation that the instructions that I've given been given are the correct instructions, um, which were to chant, read the books, um, and to associate. 
investigatory period when you're looking into it. Like when you become a gardener and you go to buy seeds, you look into it, look at the reviews, who's got the best seeds, where they come from. Are they, um, uh, you, you verify those things to the best of your ability. That's the beginning of Krishna consciousness when you're investigating. And uh, it's important to doubt. It's a function of the intelligence to doubt. And it's meant to move you into a position where you rule out various uh, aspects uh, and say, well, it's, it's definitely not, um, you can rule out ver various other options until you come to a, a very clear understanding of, of where the best source is of, of the information. So you, you'll, you'll see that more and more as you um, investigate to that what you're getting from those around you is the kind of instructions that they're, they've gotten through the civil succession. That's what it means to be in a, in a sangha of devotees. That's why a, a devotee association is so important because that's what devotees do, is they verify what they're doing and what they're saying with the disciplic succession and with, uh, and and that's all. All the dis, all the disciplic teachers they always refer to uh, uh, shastra. Shastra means the original teachings that come down from Krishna, because it's accepted that Krishna is the supreme authority. In any discipline, you have to accept some axiomatic truth at some point. Otherwise, you get etern eternal or infinite regress. You can never make any progress in anything. And so um, you don't make a mistake when you take the supreme authority of Krishna, but you can, you, you can verify that for yourself by testing it out to some degree. Okay, that we have to end because we have to go to Darshan. But we did um, inaugurate the process of hearing chanting even though, uh, and it was well done. Thank you very much for putting this all together in such a short amount of time. It was the genius of Habi Prabhu to uh, assemble this whole thing. Um, Chakudara, you brought the, all the, uh, Chakudola, sorry, you brought all the equipment and um, thanks also to Ramana Nasaka. He was in on the process too, right? Making sure we got all the right components. So it looks like it works. We just were testing it out. And now we just have to verify the kind of time sequence that anybody who's interested in doing to um, to continue. But for now, we'll take it and uh, go for Darshan. Thank you, everybody. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Srila Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakti Vrindi Ki Jai, Bhansha Gopla Vrishaya, Kripasana Deva Chapati Tara, Mahamri Vyo Vaishnavi.